what you've just heard, and would still be hearing if I wasn't talking over it, is the sound of a gun being fired in the world's most reverberant space. The man who recorded it was Trevor Cox, an acoustical physicist at the University of Salford, who's traveled all over the world on a mission to find, record, and explain unusual sounds. I'm Margaret Harris, Reviews Editor at Physics World, and this edition of the Physics World podcast is all about Cox's search for Sonic Wonderlands. We'll be hearing more spectacular sounds from Cox's collection later on, including a musical road and an otherworldly saxophone solo. But first, let's hear from the man himself as he describes how he became an explorer of sonic landscapes. I guess it, you know, the start of this came back a few years when I was actually went into a sewer of all places. So I was asked to do an interview about the acoustics of sewers, and I, to be honest, I wasn't that keen, but I said I'd go anyway. And I heard this amazing effect down there. And what happens is that it was only just a little bit bigger than I was. So it's about, you know, about two metres high. And when you talked, you could hear your voice spiralling around the inside. So you get these modes where the sound sticks to the inside of the cylinder. And this kind of really surprised me. I hadn't expected to hear this. I expected to hear some echoes and some reverberance. But here was an effect I hadn't heard before. It made me kind of think, well, what other effects are out there? What other sounds are out there? that I kind of overlooked and don't know of, and that started me on this hunt for remarkable and unusual sounds. One of Cox's first targets on this hunt for weird sounds was a building near Edinburgh called the Hamilton Mausoleum. At the time, the mausoleum held the world record for the longest echo. But when Cox went inside, what he heard wasn't really that impressive. I heard it, and I kind of thought, well, it's echoey, it's reverberant, but it's not unusual. I mean, in, a, in Salford, we have a reverberation chamber, which is kind of similar and then kind of thought there must be something more reverberant. And that sent me on a, a chase around various very large places, very unusually large spaces with really heavy construction to give you the very long reverberation time. And I ended up in an oil tank, which had been built in the run-up to World War II. It was built to protect it from bombing. So the concrete is incredibly thick. It's half a metre thick. You'd never make it like that if it wasn't for your concerns for bombing. And they're vast because they were meant to hold vast amounts of oil, which gives it incredibly long and unusually long reverberation time. So how did you actually get to the, into the tank? It's actually quite difficult to get in. First of all, it's, it's on private land and it's not generally open to the public. Um, but to actually get in, you first of all, you have to walk into the side of the mountain. You've got a sort of 200-odd metre long corridor to the first tank. And this is like walking into sort of like a layer, you know, concrete sort of tunnel. And then you actually see the tank on the left, but there's no doors. It was never designed for something that you would, you know, you would go into regularly. There, there are these ventilation inspection tubes, and they're kind of about, I don't know, 40, 50 centimetres in diameter. So they're, they're quite narrow, and they're about eight foot long, and you literally get pushed down them, and that's how you get into the tank. So what's it like inside? Well, the first thing is it's really quite dark. It's dank. It's like a cave. It's still got oil on the floor, even though it's supposedly being cleaned. And unless you've got really good lighting, you get no sense of the size from the visual because, you know, this is sort of like 240, 250 metres long. So my little head torch doesn't shine that far. So you can't really see the walls, the floor and the ceiling. Well, you can see the floor, obviously, but you can't see the walls and the ceiling very well with a torch. The only reason you know it's really reverberant is if you make any noise, you can suddenly hear this big, booming sound and that gives you a real sense of the space and how big it is. The oil tank is located near Inchendown, Scotland and the reverberations Cox heard inside it completely outclassed anything he'd experienced at the Hamilton Mausoleum or the reverberation chamber in Salford. But how echoey was it? To find out, Cox got an assistant to fire the gunshot you heard earlier. 
After the bang, or impulse, the echo he measured was actually the time it took for the sound volume to decay by 60 decibels. This decay time varies hugely with frequency. If Cox had used a piccolo instead of a starter pistol, the echo would have died away in about 10 seconds. If he'd had a pipe organ in there, though, reverberations from the lowest note, at 16 hertz, would have lasted a few minutes. In the end, the number that went into the Guinness Book of World Records was sort of an average across frequencies. Officially, the reverberations in the inch and down oil tank lasted 75 seconds, making it the longest echo in the world by, well, a long shot. But for Cox, getting the record was just the beginning. As well as being a physicist and an engineer, he's also a keen musician. A few months later, Cox went back to inch and down with his saxophone. Let's hear the results. The oil tank is not the only unusual place that Cox has visited on his search for sonic wonderlands. Another is the old Cold War listening station at Tufelsberg, a man-made hill in West Berlin. The radar domes on the Tufelsberg summit are simple carbon fiber shells designed to protect the equipment that was once inside them, but their near-spherical shape gives them some fascinating acoustic properties. Well, the first thing you notice is reverberance. So, it, you know, the sound echoes a long time, but it's mu- there's mu- many more interesting effects than just reverberation. So if you go and stand in the middle, you jump on the concrete plinth where the old antennae used to be, and so you're right at the focal point. So everything you say goes out and comes straight back to you, straight to your ears. Then you can have some really weird effects. So when I bent down to get out my little digital recorder and unzipped my rucksack, it sounded like I was unzipping from above my head. So the reflection was so strong enough, it overcome the precedence effect. So normally when you localise sound, you localise to the first sound you hear, which is the stuff coming direct from the zip to my, to my ears. But actually the reflection, the focused reflection of the zip was so loud that actually it sounded like it was coming from above. And it's really unusual to have that sort of precedent effect overcome with a natural acoustic. I mean, you get it all the time with loudspeakers, but to have it happen with just a, a focused reflection is unusual. That was Cox speaking about Tufelsberg in his office at Salford. Here's what he sounded like when he talked in the radar dome itself. It's quite a, a weird place to talk. You can probably hear it sounds like I'm talking twice. And uh, if, I t- if I clap on the floor, bang with my foot, you can hear the sound repeatedly bouncing and being focused back to me from the ceiling. The soundscapes of the Tufelsberg radar dome and the inch and down oil tank were created by accident, but some of the other exonic wonderlands Cox visited were built deliberately. A good example is something called the Musical Road. Yeah, the Musical Road. Yeah, that's. Uh, that's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm smiling just thinking about it because it just, it just always makes me laugh. Um, so, this is a road that plays music as you drive across. So, we, we, you probably met a rumble strip you know the side of a motorway you go off the edge and go buzz as you go across and it's created by a series of, of bumps if you space these bumps out or well, actually they're grooves but it's the same same thing if you have them spaced far apart you get a low note you space them close together you get a high note therefore if we have different patches with different spacings we can have different notes and we can play tunes so the one which over in uh, california actually plays the william tell overture 
The musical road, it turns out, is badly out of tune. Cox explains that this is because the road's designers got the groove spacings wrong, much to the annoyance of the neighbors, who complained so much that the road was eventually torn up and rebuilt on the edge of town. Sometimes, it turns out, the sound we really want to hear is, in fact, no sound at all. In his sonic journey, Cox has also visited some unusually quiet places, and one of them is just down the corridor from his office in Salford. It's called the Anechoic Chamber, and it's basically the opposite of the Inch and Down oil tank, because it's designed to produce no echoes at all. Cox was kind enough to take me inside. So we're about to head into the Anechoic Chamber at University of Salford. Trevor Cox is taking me inside. I've never been in one before, so this will be an interesting experience. In through first set of doors, and into the second set of doors, and the sound is very, very strange. Yeah, I think the, the first thing is when you talk, and I'm talking to you, it feels like I have to talk, working a bit harder, because the voice is being very much muffled. And basically all around us are these big cones well they're wedges really of foam they're all special acoustic foam so they're above us they're also on the floor and all the walls as well which means that basically any reflections that you would normally have in a room are are not there and so when you're listening my voice is a lot quieter than it normally would be um, because normally the sound is reinforced by these reflections and it, it adds a lot of extra energy and your ears kind of try and work out what's going on and they're probably the only the cases where people have met that before is when their ears are partly blocked because you're up in a plane and yes. they need to pop. If I, you know, sort of make other noises, like trying to snap my fingers, for example. I'm not the best finger snapper in the world, but that's, that's bad by, even by my standards. As soon as I stopped snapping my fingers, I realised the chamber wasn't completely silent. If I listened carefully, I could hear a faint hum. And after a while, I asked Cox what it was. Yeah, people come to an anechoic chamber and, you know, come hear silence. It's kind of surprised they, they can actually hear noise. And a lot of people hear blood moving in the, uh, in the head. So we have anti-vibration systems to stop the blood moving in our head being picked up by our ear. But in a very quiet environment when there's no external sound going down the ear canal, you can sometimes pick that up. A bit like your heart pounding when you're sort of exercising hard. The other one you can sometimes hear is a hissing sound. Now, if that's not tinnitus, that's um, usually spontaneous firings on the auditory nerve. No one's actually really investigated why this happens or exactly what's going on. But what's thought to happen is, in a space like this, your ear is continually... Well, everywhere, your ear is being continually tweaked and its sensitivity changed. And so you can think of it crudely as simply, you know, the, the brain tries to turn the gain up, tries to turn the amplifier up to try and pick up noise. And that will amplify things, amplify things like spontaneous firings of, the, of nerves on the auditory nerve anyway. And that hissing sound is probably just those little bits of, you know, random firings that normally, again, are inaudible. Um, if you, and I find if you're in a science space long enough, they, they, they gradually go away. Cox told me that the anechoic chamber makes some people feel really uncomfortable, even sick, because the room they see does not match up to the space they hear. I didn't think it was that bad, but the room that really threw my senses out of whack was the one that Cox took me to next, the reverberation chamber. So we're now about to go into the opposite, which is the reverberation chamber, and it is indeed... Quite a reverberative space. It's only about the size of, you know, a, a large living room, I guess. But it feels and sounds as if 
I was in a gigantic underground car park. Yeah, or a large cathedral. Um, How does this, this echo compare to what was in the Inch and Dad oil tank? So this is, I guess, we could probably guess maybe a reverberation time of four seconds. I don't know. of the order of about three, four seconds, isn't it, before it dies away, in that very imprecise way I've just done it. Um, and that's pretty much what these standard rooms have. Inch and down, of course, was, well, across broadband, it was about, it was over a minute. So, you know, much, much more reverberant than this. Back in Cox's office, I asked him why he was so interested in collecting these unusual sounds. Was it just curiosity? An interest in their scientific aspects? Or was he hoping somehow to preserve these soundscapes before they disappear? So I think part of it is about being, being aware so that we don't make the mistake of losing stuff that we actually find rather important to us without sort of kind of at least capturing it or at least realising what we're doing when we get rid of it. So, um, you know, when you have signature sounds of places like, I don't know, the bongs of Big Ben or the tuk-tuks in Bangkok or the one o'clock gun in Edinburgh, that kind of stuff you need to sort of kind of be aware of what they are. So if someone comes along and says, well, we should stop firing the gun at one o'clock, people go, no, actually, this is an important part of the heritage of Edinburgh, and we should carry on. If you want to know more about Trevor Cox's sonic journey, he's actually written a whole book about it. The book is called Sonic Wonderland, and it goes into much more detail about the sounds you've heard in this podcast, along with many others, including the singing sands of the Mojave Desert and a hotel in Manchester that howls in high winds. For now, though, that's all the sounds we have time for. I'm Margaret Harris, and thanks for listening to the Physics World Podcast. Physics World.